This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Welcome once again to the Madison Story Slam podcast. It's me, your host, Adam Rosted. What's that? A second episode in one week? Yes, that's correct. That is one of the changes we will be making this year. With the podcast, we're going to try and be doing two shows each week. And I know that I said last episode that there's a lot going on and it's hard to keep up. And maybe it seems foolhardy to add an extra show to the podcast every week, but uh, I think we can do it, and uh, I'm working hard to make it happen. So, this is the second episode this week, and on this episode, we have two amazing stories from two of my favorite people. Uh, we'll, we'll hear from Jessica Regan, and we'll also hear from Ryan Hack. And I want to give a little bit of a warning beforehand, because these two stories are both about suicide. And that might be hard for some of you to hear about, but I believe that it's important to include these stories on the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, you can help us grow by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts app. You can also subscribe on our YouTube channel, and you can see both of these stories on the YouTube channel. Links are in the show notes today. And then you can go to patreon.com slash madisonstoryslam if you want to play a bigger part in what we do here on the show. First up is Ryan Hack, and this story in particular, you might want to see the YouTube video. That's all I'll say. Here's Ryan. First of all, I need to uh, lodge an official complaint. Uh, No mic stand. (laughs) Speak with my hands a lot. This might be an issue. Need to wipe my forehead a lot. All right. Good night. All right. Now that we have that out of the way, <laughs> had to do that, had to do that. Um, so here's the thing, guys. Uh, today is the four-year anniversary of my dad's death by suicide. Um, it is also as if the universe is telling me not to forget, because it's also International Survivors of Suicide Lost Day. And so I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) I should remember that today, as if I needed help remembering that. Um, And so I want to actually, I actually love Fran Du's story because I I think I've even said this here before, I'm a crier, I love crying, it's the freaking best thing ever. And I've been crying a lot lately, and so I would like to to maybe laugh a little bit. So first of all, thanks for laughing already, that was great. But I wanted to tell just a couple stories about my dad that make me laugh. Um, My dad was always uh, joking around and making other people laugh. Um, I remember when my wife and I, who is here tonight for the first time, both of us here at the same time, which is awesome. Um, Yeah. Uh, But I remember when we had our son, he was our first kid, and uh, we were going by the book on everything, right? Like, do this then, this now, he can't do this then. And we went to Culver's, and it was just the three of us, and my dad and my stepmom were all sitting there, and my dad's got my son in his lap, and, and we're like, he, can't, he cannot have custard yet. 
He's not at the age where he can have custard. The book says so. Pretty sure he'll die, so please, please no custard. And so we're sitting there. See, this is where the mic stand would come in real handy right now. <clears throat> because I got to... <laughs> sure. Or you could just hold it. You could hold it for me. <laughs> Here, just hold it. <laughs> yes. Asshole. It doesn't fit. Oh, I was going to say something so inappropriate. <laughs> I'm glad a lot of people here were like, <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't say it, babe. I didn't say it. All right. So anyway, this is like three minutes of my time now. I would like to request my time. Let's hear it for <laughs> Don't be a dick, Adam. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so my dad's holding my son on his lap, and he, we have custard, and he literally does this move, where he just looks me in the eye, gets some custard on his finger, and just jams it into my son's mouth. And Julie's looking at me like, do something about your father. Our child is about to die, because he gave him ice cream. And, uh, and that was a great moment. That was so fun. Because then I was like, oh man, we can do anything with this kid. And he'll be totally fine. My dad just showed us. Um, so then, uh, as I was growing up, I would go to my dad's house like every other weekend. Uh, my parents were divorced. and So I'd go over there, and uh, this one day he asked me just to go to the store and to get a gallon of milk and some butter. Um, which sounds made up. That's like one of those like, like things that you tell little kids. What is that? Like a loaf of bread, a gallon of butter, like whatever. But he told me to go get a gallon of milk and some butter. And it's like two or three blocks away from our house, so it's not that far, but I'm a little kid. So I go over, I get it, I come home, and my dad looks at it and immediately just goes, what in the hell is this? And I'm like, it's, it's milk and butter, like you asked me to get. And he said, well, first of all, this is white water. I had gotten skim milk, which was like a sin. And I was like, oh, gosh, I agree. That's horrible. No one should have skim milk. And then he picked up the butter, and he goes, this literally says on the package, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, yep, no, yep. You are correct. Uh, my bad. It was the lowest costing one. I just, I thought that I would just do that. So he goes, take it back. <laughs> and I was like, what? You could do that? <laughs> so I had to walk back to the store with a gallon of milk and this butter and be like, um, hi, um, I just got this and this isn't actually milk. And also this actually explicitly says it's not butter. So. Could you get me one that says, like, is there one that says this is definitely butter? I'll take that one, because that would be great. I think my dad would love that. Um, so we got that worked out. Um, and then there was another time where I was, I went through this phase in middle school where we, I was a great student, by the way, and that was really sarcastic. But um, we went through this phase, some friends of ours, we would take needles 
And um, then we would take masking tape and we would put like, we'd make them into like little darts. And then we would just have straws and we'd sit in the back row of class. And when the teacher was right up on the board, we would shoot the darts at the cork board next to her. And she would just kind of be like, <laughs> okay. So I was at home downstairs, uh, and I had one of those like sliding doors. It wasn't one that you open. It was one of those like bamboo doors that like slides open and close. So I'm I'm in my room and I'm making these little darts, and all of a sudden, my my dad just goes, wham, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, hey, "I'm making darts," and I'm like, "Ah, don't say you're making darts. <laughs> That's bad." So he's like, make darts, cool. So I had this poster uh, of Mike Ditka <laughs> on my wall that I used for target practice. <laughs> and so my dad was like, ooh, let me try. And I was like, all right, cool. So I show him how to do it. And then I go up, <laughs> he's standing back there. I go up to get my dart out. And he goes, Phew! and it's stuck in my hands. <laughs> and I'm like, dad. <laughs> A, wait your turn. Like, but B, I only have the one hand. Could you just, like, be a little careful? Please. I get that it's fun. I know you were anticipating the, the joy of, you know, I get it. But um, So we did that. And then um, I also did this thing when I was in high school um, called Very Special Arts. Does anybody, anybody familiar with that? So it's Very Special Arts in Wisconsin. And, and it's basically for... Um, kids and adults who have disabilities to uh, get to experience the arts. And so what we did when I was in high school, um, it, it's mostly, I would say, um, cognitively disabled folks. Um, but we would go um, and we'd get to march uh, with the UW marching band at Camp Randall. And it was cool. And, um, and so I was a volunteer for that to help. Um, and so I went to his house this one weekend, and I was wearing my very special arts shirt, and we're in the kitchen, and my dad kind of looks at me, and he's like, you could just see him thinking, like, uh, uh, and he's like, so, so is that, so is that, is that fun? The, so the very special arts thing, is that cool? And I'm like, yeah, it's really cool, like, you get to go out, Camp Randall, and blah, 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 and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. And I was like, and I didn't, it said volunteer on the back of my shirt, but he didn't see that part. And so he thought I was part of the very special arts program, which I was not. And it really like screwed him up because <laughs> he was like, so he was, I was like, oh, no, 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 dad, I'm a volunteer for it. And he was like, oh, 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 yes, of course you are. And it wouldn't be bad if you were part of it. It would be fine. That would make sense. It just was confusing. That's all. Like, he was trying to, like, be so careful with how he was wording everything. And it just, I was so cute because he was like, he, he, it just didn't make any sense to him that I would be a part of that. But he was trying to be like, that's, no, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful that you're doing that. Um, and so th those are some of, the, some of the stories that make me laugh uh, about my dad. I, I do know when I... When I grew up, um, when I asked uh, Julie to marry me, um, I remember being in that same kitchen and him saying, I always wondered who would choose you. And I was like, I know that's not, that didn't come out how you meant it. I get that. <laughs> so I'm just gonna let it be. 
<laughs> like I know you meant who is the most amazing person on earth who's going to choose you. Like I get it. <laughs> Gotta work on how you say those things though. Um, but that, that was a moment that we shared that I was just gonna like, yep, I know what you mean. Like it's fine. Um, and then even when my, my kids, um, like when Sam was gonna be born, he's my oldest, and and I remember him saying uh, to me, and, and we didn't talk a whole lot about my arm, to be honest. Um, when I was little, he, I mean, here's another foundational thing. When, when we'd, he'd take me to the park, and like if kids were gathering around and you know, pointing at me or saying things about me or whatever, I didn't really notice because I was oblivious what he did. And so he would do things like, hey guys, uh, any of you guys go to, a, to an alligator pit before? <laughs> I'd kind of look at him. They'd be like, yeah, took Ryan one time and uh, got too close, so you just want to be careful if you go there. And all the kids are like, they didn't care about me at all. <laughs> it's like, who's this creep? And I'm just like, oh, dad. Um, but I remember him, uh, when, when Sam, before Sam was born, him saying, um, well, are you, are you worried about him not having a hand? And I was like, oh, is that something I should worry about? <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't even think about it. And it was, it was just, it was really interesting to me um, that he did think about that. Um, I really didn't think I was going to cry, but um, he did think um, about those things a lot. He thought about me a lot, um, and that was important to him, even when it wasn't something that, that was important to me or that I cared about. Um, he cared about it a lot, and he was the one to um, kind of think about that for me. Um, and, and he didn't make it a big deal or anything, but it was just one of those things that showed me uh, that he cared. So um, today, you know, I remember him, and uh, I'm grateful that I had so much time with him, um, and it sucks that he got to his breaking point um, and that it, it ended his story. Um, I've had a lot of breaking points uh, myself, um, but I have not broken yet, uh, and I will not break today, and I hope that you uh, will not either. All right, thank you guys. Thank you, Ryan. <sighs> Ryan's so demanding, he requests a mic stand. Different is an asshole, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's your next book. I dig it. I, number one bestseller. Isn't that a great story from Ryan Hack? If you want to learn more about Ryan and his book that he wrote for children, you can visit livingonehanded.com. Hey, I want you to know that we started live streaming video of all of our live events. The third Saturday of every month, you can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Slam. And we start live streaming at about 7 o'clock on those Saturdays. You can also see full recordings of our past events in the video section on that page. Up next today, we've got a story from Jessica Regan. And this one is also about her dad. My dad was the toughest man I've ever known. He was a quiet, hardworking dairy farmer. Um, and he didn't have a lot, but he gave us everything that he had. He gave me my work ethic and my love of nature and my dimples. He also gave me a couple of really great older siblings, and family really meant the world to him. 
We always had dinner together as a whole family every night growing up. And when we'd finish eating, my dad would change back into his barn clothes and be ready to go finish the evening milking. And just as a bit about when he was about to leave the house, um, he would stand at the front door and my mom would call for us kids, kids, your father's leaving. It sounded just like that. Same line, same routine every single night. And once we heard my mom say, kids, your father's leaving, we would race to the front door to stand in a line and give him a kiss goodbye before he went back to work. So Novembers are really special. They are a reminder of the great times that we had as a family growing up on the farm, the fall harvest season, deer hunting season, which just started today, and even football season. I'm not a big sports fan, but we loved watching the Packers games as a family growing up. Novembers are also really important to me because these days there's also a big focus on men's health and well-being. My dad was the toughest man I'd ever known. And that was part of the problem, because like a lot of really tough men, I think he had learned and had been socialized to suppress his emotions and not talk about it and to um, not ask for help. And so he suffered silently for I don't even know how long. And Novembers are also really hard, because it was a November day, 18 years ago now, that my dad reached his breaking point. This is the sweater I was wearing that day. I've held on to it for many years. Um, and it was a Sunday that started off just like any other. My mom and I had gone to church together that morning. I remember coming home feeling so spiritually strong that day, um, which I think ended up being pretty important. Um, and my brother was home from college, so we were, getting to ready, we were getting ready to watch the Packers game as a family. Um, my brother was on the couch watching the pregame stuff. My mom was in the kitchen making lunch. She had fish in the oven and rice and broccoli on the stovetop. And I was kind of moving through the house collecting loads of laundry because I liked the idea of doing laundry more than I liked the idea of sitting in front of the TV watching Packers. Um, But I was still paying attention to the things that were going on around me and checking in and that sort of thing. It was getting really close to lunchtime and game time, and it was strange that my father hadn't come back up from the barn yet, so my mom went out to look for him. And when she came back into the living room, she had a look on her face that I'll never forget. She was breathing quickly and kind of shallowly, And she had what I can only imagine was probably the toughest parenting moment ever when she looked at me and my brother and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but your dad is in the milk house with a gunshot wound in his head. And I looked at my brother immediately, expecting to laugh, because that's not funny, but it also couldn't possibly have been real. And when I saw the fear in his face, I realized that it was no joke. And I asked my mom, who could have wanted to hurt dad? Was it Uncle Bob? We had seen his truck come and go from the farm a little bit earlier. And she said, no, this looks like it was self-inflicted. And that didn't make any sense to me at all. I didn't know how to recognize warning signs if there had been any. And I just stumbled around for a bit in disbelief. I remember leaving the house and going down towards the barn and got about halfway there before realizing I didn't want to see it. I couldn't look. And besides, we had to go. The ambulances had already arrived, and so I went back into the house and to my laundry piles, and I grabbed this sweater back out of the laundry pile, and I threw it on, and we were ready to go to the hospital. We followed the ambulance there. They ended up flying my dad to another hospital about an hour's drive away, and we spent a lot of time in that hospital over the next two weeks. Um, He was in a coma in the intensive care unit 
um, and never woke up from that. It was a Sunday morning, November 19th, 2000, that the hospital called home and said, you might want to get here pretty quick. We're not sure how much longer he's going to last. And so we got there as soon as we could, but sure enough, when we walked in, the nurse said, I'm so sorry, but he's gone. And so this familiar line from my childhood, this kids, your father's leaving, had suddenly morphed into this reality that my father had left. Past tense. Permanently, without any explanation, suddenly he was, had just left. And I think challenging moments like that you know, especially because I didn't get a chance to run up to him and say goodbye and run in a little line like we used to. Challenging moments can change you forever. And I was left facing the work of who I was going to be moving forward and what version of myself. Um, my dad's breaking point was the point at which I started breaking too. And for me, time is not something that's really done much healing. It's changed things, and it's different, I wouldn't say better, but the way I see it is that the more time that goes by, the longer he's been gone and the more that he's missed. I've experienced every significant milestone in my life through this lens of dadlessness. And the only thing harder than being sad sometimes is being sad when you're supposed to be happy. So my 16th birthday, my sweet 16, was the day after his funeral. When my 4 by 800 track relay team broke the high school record at the home conference meet my senior year, he wasn't in the stands cheering for me like he would have been. And he missed my three graduation ceremonies over the years. I didn't get a daddy-daughter dance at my wedding. And he's never going to meet this grandbaby on the way, who I pray to God inherits his dimples and his work ethic and his love of nature. It's taken a lot of years and a lot of work, but I realized that my dad's breaking point was also the point at which I started growing and changing and healing in a way that I never could have imagined. Before my dad died by suicide, I was your average teenage girl living life at the surface level. I like to think now that I'm a bit more compassionate, reflective, able to really find the joy in life, make meaningful connections with people and with moments, more educated and unafraid of mental health issues. I've learned a lot about grief over the years and kind of how it can show up in weird, unexpected ways sometimes, how to watch out for that. So today, my grief has been showing up in a little bit of a trembling voice and tears throughout the day. Um, two years ago, in November, my grief showed up as this impulsive decision to get a semicolon tattoo in honor of my dad and to mark that moment in my life where I lived half of my life with him and half of it without him. And sometimes grief shows up as these terrible, what you might call daddy issues that I'm still sorting out and learning how to navigate, but I feel like I'm doing better. And so there's a lot of good that I feel like I've been able to take from this. Um, I recognize that healing from a suicide loss is a lifelong journey, and it's one that I've come to accept. I have held on to my grief because I find that it's there lurking anyway. And grief is really just all the love you have for someone that you have nowhere else to put it. My friend Molly described it really beautifully once. She said, um, grief seems to be that only thing that's connecting you to the thing that matters so much that losing it did this to you. And I found a lot of comfort in that. So it's been a bit of a long and bumpy journey. Um, and even though my dad left, and he left too soon and too suddenly, um, he also left me with a lot of really great things to be grateful for. 
Um, I, he continues to teach me, even though he's not around. I've learned how strong I am, how strong I have been, how strong I'll have to continue to be. And if somehow in my grief I'm able to become that person that he raised me to be, that'll be the most important way that I honor him. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, so something I love about Story Slam is that people come here, I think most people that come, come expecting to laugh uh, because it's just kind of the fact of Story Slam is that a lot of people, it's not just this, it's the fact of storytelling that um, for most of us, we experience storytelling around the dinner table with our friends and families, especially around this time of year, Thanksgiving. You get together with people you love and you share stories, and usually those stories are funny. Um, but I, what I love about what we do here is that we give a space for people to come and just say, hey, like this is what I'm going through this month, today, right now, this second, and like we accept it, and we all get to hear that and learn from it, and maybe there's people here who've been through something very similar, and you get to heal from that story. You hear that story, and it brings a sense of healing. I know it does for me. So once again, Jessica, thank you so much for being brave and sharing that story. Ah, yes. Thank you so much to both Ryan and Jessica for sharing, uh, you know, two stories that are, I'm sure, very difficult uh, to share, to get up in front of an audience and talk about. We are grateful uh, that you guys, that all of the storytellers that, that tell stories, we're grateful that you come up and share a piece of yourself with us, whether it's a funny story, a difficult story, and everything in between. It means a lot. It helps us learn and helps us grow. And that's really, you know what it really does is it builds community. And that's what we believe in, building community through storytelling. And if you want to be a part of building community through storytelling, you can come to one of these upcoming events, January 19th at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin. We have breakups. Then on February 8th, we're teaming up with the McFarland Public Library for best date, worst date. That's a Friday and then we have our regular Story Slam event on Saturday, February 16th at the Wilmar Center. And then March 16th, that's another Saturday at the Wilmar Center. We don't have themes for those ones yet, but they will be up soon on the Facebook page. Go there for more info. Thank you so much for tuning in, being a part of this community. It means the world. And as always, I love you.